We thank you, our Father, for the Psalms, the songs of the Church and the prayers of the saints. Thank you for giving us the words to express the depth of our contrition, the height of our worship and the anguish of our soul. May your word judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts so that our prayers might be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When David wrote this psalm, he was a fugitive on the run. He was being pursued by the increasingly manic King Saul. He was hunted from one place of refuge to another, and he could never be sure who and where his enemies were. Saul's mood swung quickly between vengeful spite and tearful remorse. And the sycophants in the court of King Saul, whom David once called friends and brothers, were happily pandering to the king's base desires as they made false accusation against David with gloating and malice. And none of this made any sense to David. He could not have seen it coming. Though he knew what it was like to have enemies, this was different. This was close to home. Nothing that he'd experienced could have prepared him for this. It just made absolutely no sense at all. And it makes no sense to David because he's suffering without cause. Have a look at verse 7. They hid their net for me without cause. Without cause they dig a pit for me. David's done nothing to deserve their treatment of him, and yet they set to trap him. Moreover, David's not only innocent of their accusations, he's actually only ever treated them with kindness. Have a look from verse 12. For good, he was repaid with evil. When they were ill, he fasted and prayed, mourning as for a friend and a brother, weeping as if for his mother. But when he stumbled, they now gather in glee against him, and they slander him ceaselessly. None of it makes any sense to David because their persecution of him well, it's personal. It's malicious. They're not pursuing justice, they're pursuing David. Have a look from verse 19. They gloat over and they hate David without cause. Maliciously winking the eye, they make false accusation against those who live quietly in the land and sneeringly say, aha, aha, with our own eyes we've seen it. David's enemies are enjoying this, so they wink at one another knowing that what they say is not true, and yet gloating over their lies and their hatred of David. So it will come as no surprise that David is confused, he's hurt, and he's angry. What might be surprising, however, is that David's first impulse is to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but to my shame, that is not always my first impulse. When I'm confused, I'm likely to misread situations and make irrational decisions rather than pray. When I'm hurt, I'm more ready to say hurtful things in return than to pray. When I'm angry, prayer is often the last thing on my mind. 
And my failure in all these things is because the natural man in me is still alive and well. More healthy than I'd like him to be. As the Apostle Paul says, when, when I want to do good, evil's right there with me. Certainly in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but there's another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my body. And my suspicion is that if you're a Christian, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, if you've been created anew in Christ Jesus the Lord, then you too will have the same struggle. You'll wish that prayer was your first response. You'll recognise that impulsive, hurtful and defensive words are not reflective of Christ's character at all. You may even see your anger as more likely to be wounded pride than righteous indignation. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You're more likely to recognise sin for what it is and be grieved by it. And I reckon that that's the reason why these imprecatory psalms can make us feel so uncomfortable. It's because they navigate what seems like a really narrow path between personal revenge and divine retribution, between vindictiveness and vindication, between retaliation and justice. We're not squeamish about these psalms because we have a naturally superior moral sensitivity born out of the Enlightenment. Such a view is delusional, shallow and patronising. We're troubled because the scriptures that tell us that God is just and holy and righteous are the same scriptures that tell us that God is gracious, merciful and forgiving. And as Christians, we take all of God's word seriously and we choose not to recreate God in our own image. And David, he makes that choice when he denies himself the indulgence of personal revenge, because David is confident that God will deal with injustice and rightly do what he can't. Have a look at verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. David does not seek to execute personal vengeance against his enemies. Instead, as he says in verse 3, he seeks reassurance for his soul that God is his salvation. David's confidence is that there is none like God. In verse 10, David asks the rhetorical question with his whole being. He says, who is like the Lord? And the obvious answer is that there is none like the Lord. Only God rescues the poor from those too strong for him. Only God rescues the poor and needy from those who rob them. Only God is just and pure in all of his motives. Therefore, only God is able to justly execute judgment against all wickedness and injustice. And with that sort of confidence in God, David calls for divine retribution. When he's persecuted without cause, David does not want random mayhem wreaked upon his persecutors. He asks simply in verse 8 that their ruination 
be entanglement in their own net, stumbling in their own pit. When he's repaid evil for good, he simply asks in verse 17 that the Lord would rescue his precious life from the ravages of these lions. When persecution against David is personal and malicious, David simply asks from verse 24 that the Lord stop their gloating and instead let them be put to shame, confusion and disgrace. And whatever we might think of David's call for divine retribution, there's three things that I want you to notice. Firstly, as I've already indicated, that there is no hint that David intends to enact personal revenge upon his persecutors. He's confident to leave justice in God's hands. In verse 1 and 23, David's plea is simply that the Lord will contend for him. Secondly, there's, there's nothing to indicate that David wants to up the ante. His prayers for retribution are commensurate with the injustices that he suffered. Don't mess with David or you'll get more than you bargained for. That, that's not a sentiment found anywhere in the prayers of David. And thirdly, it's clear that the ultimate outcome that David wants is certainly that evil be stopped and justice prevail. But David, above all, wants God's honour to be upheld and his glory manifest. With his whole being, David wants to exclaim his incomparable Lord. Verse 9. This is the Lord of his salvation in whom David delights. This is the Lord that David rejoices in from the depths of his soul. Verse 18, this is the Lord to whom David gives thanks. Not two cheers for God in the privacy of his heart, but praise to God in the great assembly of his people. Verse 27 and 28, this is the Lord that David exalts, extolling his righteousness and his praise all the day long. So what is it that we learn from these Psalms? What does David teach us about how to deal with with our own feelings of confusion and hurt and anger. Well, I think the obvious thing that he teaches us is that such feelings are legitimate. It's okay to feel confused and hurt and angry. These are right and proper responses to injustice. Now, there's many sinful ways to respond to injustice, and indifference would be one of them. Not to care when evil prospers and righteousness is trodden down it is simply wrong. And not only is it proper to respond to evil with hurt and confusion and anger, it's also okay to tell God exactly how you feel and exactly what you'd like him to do about it. It's not like he doesn't know what you're thinking because you haven't told him. He knows, and I'm sure... He doesn't mind you saying what you think. You're not going to hurt his feelings and you're not going to shock him or surprise him. And if you sometimes get it wrong, and you most certainly will, then the good news is that God will not answer your prayers exactly as you want him to. David wanted his prayers answered straight away. He says in verse 17, he says, Oh Lord, how long will you look on? 
And then in verses 22 and 23, he says to God that when you do look on, then don't be silent. Instead, wake up and rise to my defence. Can you talk to God like that? David's in dire straits. He's feeling desperate and impatient. And though God did rescue him from Saul, clearly David wanted it to happen yesterday and not tomorrow. However, God did not act according to David's plan, but according to his own. And that's always a good thing. For as David says in verse 27, the Lord delights in the well-being of his servant. And that's as true for us today as it was for David then. In the midst of our anguish and despair, we can be assured that God hears our prayers and he answers them, not to fulfil our desires, but to ensure our well-being. And though it doesn't always feel like that at the time, we know that God always works for our good and according to his purposes. Another thing that we can learn from David is that the best response to confusion, hurt and anger is to pray. Now, as, I, as I've said, that's not easy to do. Or at least it's not easy as a first response. And if that's your experience, as it is mine sometimes, then I would counsel you to press pause when trouble comes your way. Making decisions in the midst of confusion is never a good idea. Speaking out of a place of hurt is nearly always equally hurtful and destructive of relationships. And acting impulsively on your anger rarely rises above anything more than vengeance. As I said earlier, it's okay to feel all of these emotions. It's what we do with them that matters. And what we do with our emotions can be a powerful force for good or for evil. Give the natural man full sway and all the evidence says that hate begets hate, anger begets anger, and evil grows and grows. And eventually evil will be so pervasive that it will seem natural, normal, and perhaps even good. So do press pause not as a substitute for prayer, but as a prelude to it. For pray we must, asking God for wisdom. And when we do, he gives it to us generously. He transforms us by the renewing of our minds and reveals to us through the Holy Scriptures his good, pleasing and perfect will. And when we begin to get that right, then we can do as David did, and ask God not to lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. And we can do that with words that don't pretend we're anything other than confused, hurt and angry. And we can do that with motives that are not tainted by personal desires for vengeance. For when evil and injustice happen, What's at stake is not our reputation, but God's glory and his righteousness. And all of these things that David could teach us. 
But what he couldn't teach us is what he didn't know. Now David knew that God would bring about justice. He knew from the very first murder in Genesis that when Cain killed his brother, the righteous blood of Abel cried out to the Lord from the ground. But what David didn't know was that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. David had no idea that God's retribution would be directed to and borne by God's own son. Now, like Jesus, David didn't retaliate when insults were hurled at him. He got that. When David suffered, he made no threats. David understood that. Like Jesus, David entrusted himself to him who judges justly. But David never imagined for a moment that his cries for divine retribution would be meted upon God himself in the person of the Lord Jesus. He himself bears our sins in his body so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. David never imagined that our healing came by his wounds. And the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because the blood of Abel cries out rightly for justice and not simply against Cain but against all evil and all unrighteousness. And that implicates both you and I. For none of us are righteous, not one. None of us have a natural understanding or a desire to seek after God. Every one of us have turned our own way. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. If justice alone is our judge, then we're condemned, get guilty as charged. But God has laid upon Jesus the guilt of us all. There is now no condemnation to we who are in Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ Jesus, we are justified freely by God's grace. So the blood of Jesus speaks to us a better word than the blood of Abel, because the blood of Jesus allows God to be both just by condemning sin in the flesh and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So brothers and sisters, if David had reason to trust that God was both just and merciful, we have even more reason. For we are the recipients of what David only received as a promise. So don't be wary of praying like David. Don't be afraid to tell God exactly how you feel in no uncertain terms. Recognise injustice and get angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let righteous indignation because of evil become personal vindictiveness because of pride. If you do, you give the devil a foothold. Instead, pray. Pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Be specific and pray that God would halt the establishment of a caliphate and that he would turn the evil of ISIS on its own head. 
Pray that traffickers in human slavery and misery would be entangled by their own net and fall into ruination. Pray that those who produce and spread pornography would have their eyes gouged out and thrown away, rather than their whole body be thrown into hell. Pray that those who grow wealthy at the expense of the poor, the weak and the vulnerable will have their hand cut off and thrown away, rather than their whole body thrown into hell. Pray that God will contend for us and deliver us from evil by putting to shame, confusion and disgrace all who gloat over God's people, thinking that they shall swallow us up. Pray that God's people would delight in the God of their salvation and shout for joy and gladness. For we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful as we worship God acceptably in reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. His is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.